Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay LaValle. Welcome to Rush Hour, the congestion of human trafficking in America. In this podcast, we will address the problem that is human trafficking, not only to spread awareness, but to share information that will help keep you and your community safe. Rush Hour is brought to you by The Wolf Group, powered by eTactics. Today we're joined by Kathy Gelnitz, retired forensic nurse. Thank you so much for joining us today, Kathy. It's great to see you again. I always love when I get to spend some time with you. How are you? I'm doing well, and thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, we're happy to have you join us, and I know we will learn a lot from you. Every every time I think you and I have a discussion, I feel like I learned something from you. So I've been really excited to have you join us. Thank you so much. And for those who have tuned in in the past, in some of our past um, episodes, I know you are very good friends with Carolyn Kinkoff, who we've had in the past. And and um, obviously, that's where I met you was through Carolyn. So correct. Yeah, so that's good great. Friend. Thank you. Yes, she's wonderful. So we'll kind of dive right in. What was your first experience with human trafficking and how did you learn about it initially? I was a uh, forensic nurse, a sexual assault nurse examiner, or a SANE nurse, all the same person back in 2004. But we never had anything on human trafficking in the class for sexual assault. So I took my first class in 2008, and it was to get a continuing education for my forensic nursing. Mm -hmm. So that was my first experience, but it was just a class. And then gradually I was taking more and more classes with the continuing education. That's great. And did you ever, I mean, I think we all kind of have these stories, right? When we learn about human trafficking and then we're like, oh gosh, like you think back and I know my husband is a police officer. He's thought back to instances where he's like, dang, that was probably a human trafficking scenario. And me, I lived in the second largest homeless shelter in the city of Chicago as an AmeriCorps volunteer. And I think back to several situations where I'm positive that's, you know, likely what it was. So did, I mean, as you were learning those things, were you like kind of connecting the dots or well, I started thinking that maybe, you know, there were a few cases that could have been, especially like in a domestic violence situation, Sure. but there was nothing I could really pinpoint on, right. but I was hearing constantly that we're all missing the red flags and no one in human trafficking, any victim will identify as a victim. Right. You will have people come in and say, I was sexually assaulted. You will have people come in and say, I'm in a domestic violence situation. But you will never, ever have somebody come in and say, I've been trafficked until right. they've recovered. Right. So can but, you talk about that a little bit? Because I think that's such an important part. We we touch on that every episode, I feel like. you know, We touch on the fact that trafficking victims, when they're being victimized, don't examine that, even know, have the words for that, maybe even a lot of times. So um, can you touch on that a little bit? Many times when they're first exposed to human trafficking, they don't see it as that. They see it as an opportunity to catch a bed. And the homeless situation, I want a place to have a nice warm bed. I don't care how dirty it is. Uh, I've been out in the streets for weeks or uh, it's bitter cold tonight and I just need a place to stay. It's couch surfing. 
you know, oh, come stay with me. Sometimes they get online and talk to different people and become friends with somebody online. And in that situation, they they just think it's a friend. And all of a Mm -hmm. sudden, the story turns on a dime and it becomes trafficking. So they don't see themselves going down the path of a, a victim of being trafficked. Right. And I imagine, I mean, you know, we talk about this a lot too, but that the human trafficking is kind of a new buzzword, right? So it is right. Prostitution has been around for a very, mm-hmm. very long time, but trafficking is a new phrase. But in 2019, I went to Pompeii mm-hmm. and as we were touring Pompeii, which was a area that was engulfed by a volcano in 79 AD. And the tour guide said, well, now we're going to show you the brothel Mm -hmm. after we had been showing the town. And uh, sure enough, there was a a building there that had nine rooms and the rooms were very crude. And the back had a like, look like a concrete bench and that would Mm -hmm. be their bed. But above the door frames of each one of these cubicles were uh, frescoes. Uh, paintings that were still intact from 79 AD or before. And they were different sexual positions. And as the customer would come in, he would point and pay because there was a language barrier. Mm -hmm. So I got thinking, and I asked the tour guide at the end, very discreetly, uh, where did the workers come from? Right. And she said, many of them were brought over on ships. Mm. And human trafficking is force, fraud, or coercion. Could that have been force? Could that have been coercion? Right. And then I asked, where do they stay? And she said, it's really hard to tell, but it's possibly right there where they worked. Yeah. And they had nothing, absolutely nothing. So I had asked her, I said, could this be a form of human trafficking? And she said, quite possible. They are looking into the DNA now of the skeletons that they have found. Mm -hmm. And there's finding that they're coming from different regions. Wow. So was this human trafficking? Likely. Quite probable. 79 AD. Isn't that wild to think about? And they still take girls from Albania over on motorboats across to Italy, and they traffic them there. They sell them there. So, right. I mean, that's not, uh, it's, it's crazy that it was likely going on when you were, see, you know, when you were there seeing this brothel from, you know, AD, right, yeah. to now. And it really, it hasn't, I mean, besides the addition of technology, it hasn't much changed. But I think, no. you know, there are always going to be people that are in need of housing, of food, of whatever. And there are always going to be people that will pay for sex. So, it's it's just the age-old Thing. And I guess there are always people that are horrible humans that will sell other people. So that's crazy to think about. There's several types of victims, but with each victim, they are missing the basic need. Yes. It could be love. It could be shelter. It could be food. Mm-hmm. And with those needs, the traffickers zone in on what they're missing and what their need is, and they fulfill that need. And because that person really craves that attention or that food or that shelter, they get wrapped up with it blindly. 
right. they don't even see what's happening. But then they blame themselves because I made a mistake. It's all mm -hmm. my fault. It's just wild to wrap your brain around. And I've, I've had so many conversations recently where people have said things like, well, why don't they just leave? Or, you know, well, just get out of it, you know, and it's like, that's right. not how this right. works, you know, no. I mean, because uh, there is that love hate relationship. Mm -hmm. And that trafficker has been very charming at first, mm -hmm. but then then brings on the threats, where they are being threatened for their families, their, their themselves, um, there's many different ways that the threats came in. And the trafficker is looked as a Romeo trafficker at first, mm -hmm. very kind, very thoughtful, meeting all their needs, just a wonderful person, man or female, it could be mm -hmm. either one, or they could then turn and become the trafficker that is the gorilla pimp or the gorilla trafficker where the violence comes out. Right. Right. I mean, and, you know, I have a, a, a woman that I've become good friends with who is a trafficking survivor. And, you know, that's, that's exactly how it, how she explained it, you know, and, it, and she said, if, you know, if I didn't do the things that he told me to do, I'd get my teeth knocked in and, right. you know, but right. it doesn't start out as that and no abuse does. No. I mean, you know, friends of mine who, or people I know who have been in, in domestic violence situations, right. it's like no man walks up to a woman at a, I don't know, the bank or a club or the bar or anything and slaps them yeah. across the face and says, do you want to go out? It just doesn't right. start that way. It's like you wouldn't date him a second time. You wouldn't date him a second time. You would call the police immediately if that happened. Right. right? So right. It, you're right. We all have little things in our life, right? Little voids that every one of us does. I don't I mean, we yeah. all have little voids in our in our heart, in our soul or in our personality right. where, you know, these guys are just phd level masterminds at right finding know, what those points are yeah they know how to zone in on that need they really do um you know and i have a lot of friends who have children and so we talk about this a lot now as, and you know i have a lot of friends who whose daughters are maybe graduating high school or about to be and they're like this is my biggest fear and and i'm like well what kind of conversations are you having you right. know with your daughters and what right. kind of communication do you have with your children and you know you have to make sure that you leave those lines of communication open and if you are there's a good chance this will never happen to your child you know it's right. like, true you know if if you're able to have those those lines of communication open um you know they'll come to you with when if and when something like this ever happens so right could you give us a quick history of the work you've been doing in the anti-trafficking field or maybe even some history on your forensic nursing days okay maybe how you got involved with anti-trafficking okay i became a forensic nurse uh started my first class with forensic nursing in 2004 and uh took a 40-hour class and became a forensic nurse and I would take care of victims of sexual assault, domestic violence, uh, child abuse, elder abuse, and human trafficking. So we went to uh, classes on the different topics uh, for continuing education. And I had opportunities to do webinars and different programs. So because I really wanted to learn more about it. Sure. And as I was uh, dealing with the different victims, I really wanted to get a good understanding of how to help them in a better way. 
but I worked as a forensic nurse part-time and I was working full-time as a pediatric uh, emergency room nurse. I would do three 12-hour shifts, so I would have one day a week that I could go on call. Mm-hmm. Now, I also volunteered at the Collaborative to End Human Trafficking in Cuyahoga County and been with them for about 10 years now. And I worked on ticket box cards for police officers. These are little cheat cards in their ticket box. And also we, uh, the team, put together a policy um, for the police. It was obtained from Philadelphia and they were very willing to share it. So we went around to all the police departments in Cuyahoga County. There's 77 of them. I did 47 myself. For you, because I was retired. Yes. Uh, so I had more time than other people. It took me a few months to do it, but um, we're now also working in Lake County and doing the same thing with the police departments. And that has been very helpful. One month after I did Parma Heights, a uh, very small community, I had the uh, police officer that I wor- was working with. She was a sergeant at the time, and she's now. I believe a captain, she came up to me and she said they had found human trafficking on a routine traffic stop. The officer had read the card. He looked at it. He put it away. But on a routine traffic stop, he saw that the driver was doing all the talking. The girl passenger was Mm -hmm. uh, during the headlight look. And the more he asked her questions, the more uncomfortable everybody got in the car. He went back to run the plates called for reinforcements, further investigation, sure enough it was. So mm-hmm. it is out there. We yes. just need to identify it. And Kathy, I don't even think I realized that you were working with the collaborative. So that's awesome. I just yes. think those um, are some of the most amazing humans I've ever met. I also uh, have been working with a statewide healthcare group that's affiliated with the uh, Attorney General's Office on Human Trafficking. And we're in the process of putting together a film that will be distributed to all hospitals in the state. So that uh, we did this with the collaborative in Cuyahoga County. Uh, We did a film and um, also had a resource book and we delivered it to all the hospitals in Cuyahoga County. And rather than having an update in Cuyahoga County, it's better if we do it statewide. No, that's that's awesome. As we know, ninety percent of trafficking victims go through a healthcare organization or a hospital. So, right, you know, I think that right. that's wonderful. We're and missing. you know firsthand, yeah, we're missing these things. And I definitely was one that missed it, and that's why my passion for human trafficking is there. I was working. Um, this was in twenty thirteen. I was working in a, a setting, and I had a patient that came in, and she was eleven years old. And she had minor physical injuries. Mm-hmm. So I brought her in and uh, asked her, you know, what happened. And she said that she got beat up by some girls. She was walking down the street and got beat up. So I said, well, there's more to this story. I started asking, like, why did they beat you up? And her response was, they were making fun of me because I was pregnant. Oh. So I was really thrown off. And I had to have that stoic compassionate face because chapter one is never going to be as bad as chapter three. I had turned to the mom and I asked her first, did she want police involved? And I would be a mandated reporter if it was an adult, but because it was a child on child, I could do a courtesy. 
Mm-hmm. Mom was insistent on the police. So I said, okay, I need more details because they're going to ask me some before I call dispatch. As it turns out, I asked mom, did you know she was pregnant? Mm-hmm. And mom just shrugged her shoulders and like, yeah. And I said, did you get any, you know, um, OB visits in yet? And she said, no, I think she's about six weeks along. And I am just, my my head is spinning because I'm now thinking I have to become a forensic nurse at this moment because yeah. I have a sexual assault in front yeah. of me. She was, she was underage, so it was a sexual assault. Right. So my job changed and uh, I got her into a room to get the history by herself, which mm-hmm. is what we do. Mm-hmm. And my first question was, how old is your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, they aren't my boyfriends. And she said one was 15 and one was 17. Now I have seen girls that are trying to be much older than they are Mm -hmm. by their appearance. Mm -hmm. She was very dirty. Mm -hmm. Her hair had not been combed probably for a few days. Mm -hmm. Mom was on the cleaner side Mm -hmm. and I assess people I'm not judging people. I'm just assessing no, yeah, what I see. All things, right? And mom was on the thinner side, poor dental hygiene, maybe meth going on. I didn't want to accuse her of it, mm-hmm. but I had that in the back of my mind. She was also thin and drug addicts tend to be on the thinner side. Mm-hmm. She had some marks on her arms that were suspicious. And I realized that my patient was the child, not the mom. But uh, we did everything. We did an ultrasound and found out she was 20 weeks along and no prenatal care, you know. So we called the police. We called Child Protective Services. I thought I did everything. Several weeks later, I'm at the collaborative doing train a trainer. Mm-hmm. Sister Anne Victory, who I absolutely admire so much, was standing there telling us that families can traffic their children. And then she said, sometimes the kids will stay dirty so that they will be avoided Mm -hmm. and protect themselves. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I miss this. Yeah. It really destroyed me. I'm sure. That's why I am doing what I'm doing with the volunteering. And now we have formed a group in Lake County. Uh, Sister Ann Victory had asked me and two other ladies who I really adore and admire. And we're forming a new collaborative out in Lake County, too. Yeah, that's such a blessing. And Kathy, I just can't, uh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine the things you've seen, but I just don't even know how. You have to be like one of the strongest people ever because I just, I can't even fathom. Well, you know, you see this stuff and it does take some time to process and some really, you know, pull at your heartstrings. But if you're making somebody a little bit better in a domestic violence situation or sexual assault, it really does a lot, you know, and sure. you know, you're, you're, you know, you're making you, the difference where you can, right? I mean, exactly. Um, but I think we all just have to do whatever we can in our corner. And so I just, I know that you do. And I think that's, that's amazing. And 
you know, just your conviction is wonderful. I think if everyone had the conviction you have, we would all be taking this more seriously than, than we are. So do you think that the professionals you encounter within the medical setting are adequately trained, doctors, nurses, paramedics, law enforcement, the cleaning staff, or, you know, anybody within this, the hospital setting? We have gotten better on sure. it. And I have been retired, so I can't mm-hmm. speak of what's sure. happening now. But I really still feel that we need to be educated a little bit more. The administrators have to be educated a little 100%. bit more. The supervisors, because a nurse, you know, can do medical stuff followed by a doctor. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about calling law enforcement Mm -hmm. and you might need to be, you know, notifying the supervisor about what's going on. And then the supervisor is not sure what human trafficking is and has no clue. Are they going to be on Mm -hmm. board with you? Right. So administration has to get on board and have a good understanding of what it is, what our roles are what we can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. But the doctors also need it too, because the doctors can, you know, just blow you off and say, well, we got to get this patient out of here and I don't have time for this or I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Some nursing staff, I don't want to go to court, so I don't want to make this phone call. Mm-hmm. Or that's not my job because that's a, for a, a forensic nurse. Mm-hmm. So if you're at a hospital and you have this kind of situation, get to a forensic nurse hospital or sane hospital. Not all hospitals have this and they're right in the emergency room. And when I was working, I would get calls from the psych units or from the medical floors or the orthopedic floors to come up and talk to this person because I'm suspicious there's something going on. Right. And I was grateful. Even if it it turns out to be nothing, it's better to, to ask those questions. For sure. Thank you. How has specializing in forensic nursing helped you better understand human trafficking? It has helped tremendous because I attended many classes on trauma Mm -hmm. and, you know, whether it's domestic violence, sexual assault, or human trafficking, there's a trauma bond situation that people have to understand. It's a love-hate relationship. They've had great moments and great times, and those people have met my needs, so I can't turn on them. Mm -hmm. But then on the other hand, you know, life has gotten ugly with these people, and they're forcing me to do things. So that trauma bond is very real. The other thing is that um, somebody that has been involved in trauma, whether it be short-term or long-term, their responses can be totally different than what you would expect. Uh, You can have the one that is absolutely hysterical, you know, can't stop crying from her telling the the story. You can also have that flat affect where they're just kind of talking about it like they're talking about a story that they read with no uh, reaction at all. And I went to one class and um, Dr. Rebecca Campbell, she talked about trauma and it was wonderful. She described it as when you're trying to get the history you will get bits and pieces. And it's almost like random thoughts are put on sticky notes. Mm. Throw those sticky notes up in the air, then collect them and randomly put them on a wall. Oh, wow. And that's how it comes out. And yes, I have seen that. I bet. And it is very difficult because nurses and doctors want to do this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Yeah, like a chronological order, right? Right. Right. And 
you know, then you have to go back and identify, well, who did this to you? If there was multiple or it was uh, multiple events, when did this happen? But you take that information as it, it flows mm -hmm. and then go back and rewrite it in a more chronological order. You will have some victims will giggle through their history. And it's just a emotional reaction. Sure. And you don't blow that off as well. She's making this up because yeah. uh, she was giggling the whole yeah. time. It's just so you have to kind of expect different personalities with different situations sure. and be ready for all of them. They're having random thoughts about, I've got to tell this nurse about this. I got to tell her about this. I got to tell her about this. Yeah. And it's just those thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think anybody that's been through any kind of trauma, it's like you're Absolutely. trying to like get your, I mean, I, my, I mean, I was walking my dog and we got attacked by a dog once. It's, I still can't walk my dog. And this happened many years right. ago, but I right. remember when I called the police, I was like, ah, th ah, th ah, th you know, and just trying to get it all exactly. out and I was freaking out and, you know, and, and, and I just remember that it was super traumatic situation. We both got bit and, you know, it, it was traumatic. So I just yeah. can't even imagine like how that, how that has and, to be. And you can never put words in their mouth. Right. or make those suggestions right and if there is a pause let it be let it's it be a, a healthy pause, pause. Right. let them take their time yeah so because their, thoughts. Yeah. their brain is going a mile a minute yeah. when they're trying to tell you yeah. and if you start putting words in their mouth they're going to shut down for sure that makes sense yeah that's great advice if any of this resonates with someone listening as we know oftentimes trafficking victims don't realize they're they're victims or even some survivors don't right. realize for a while that oh my gosh i was a trafficking victim so if right. someone here is, is is hearing this or is listening to this and listening to our discussion today and they think they might be in a harmful situation what advice would you give to them kathy it all depends on where they are emotionally and where they're ready to take that next step but cleveland rape crisis project star is the number one place. They're very compassionate. You can talk to different people. They can give you advice on what to do. They can be ready for you. Even if you decide I have to hang up and I'll call back tomorrow. They're very, very good. The local regional task force is another place that would be very helpful. And of course, the forensic nurse programs. Like that's such a great suggestion. I mean, every hospital doesn't have it, but every everybody lives close enough right to a large metropolitan area that would likely have i would say most larger hospital systems likely have forensic nurses so well uh we do have them in the cleveland area or cuyahoga county area mm -hmm. at fairview hillcrest metro university southwest and rainbow babies and children's right. and the, the difference is that you know you think well because of, since covid who wants to go to the emergency room and wait five hours we also in the forensic programs never allow our victims to sit out there with the general population for any length of time we bring them back as quickly as possible and again i've been retired since covid so i don't know exactly how it's working mm -hmm. but that's how it should be working right. that we bring them back we put them in a private room and uh when the forensic nurse comes in usually on call or comes out of their office or whatever uh, and is available we can spend anywhere from two to three hours on a one-on-one. -on -one. 
where no emergency room can do that for you. I was just going to say that like has to be just a calming feeling for these people right. versus the, you know, anybody that's been in ER, it's just like, a, you know, in and wild. out of different yeah. people and yeah. I've got to get this information. And I got to do this and I got to do this yeah. where this person is doing everything, getting the history, uh, doing the head to toe exam, doing photos with their permission. And everything is with their permission. We work with them and we're compassionate and we really try and meet all their needs. Yeah, no, that's it, excellent advice. And the first thing is giving them a blanket, a warm blanket, maybe right. if it's cold, because it could be, you know, 90 degrees out there, but the air conditioning in the hospital, uh, it's a little chilly. But yeah, when you're yeah. nervous, you get colder. You, get you do. You really do. I have yeah. a severe needle phobia, so random, but. Every time I have to go get my blood drawn, I'm freezing. Doesn't matter yeah. if it's 98 degrees outside, I'm freezing. Yeah. So I yeah. can imagine how that is for these these individuals. And as soon as you can, give them something to eat or drink. Offer them something to eat or drink if you can. Yeah. You know, but in the same programs, that's how it usually works. Well, I think anybody, you know, we, everybody kind of talks about how food can just be that kind of bridge that gap you know with it's any comfort it's a comfort thing it really it's is meeting one of their needs yes yeah and there may be situations where we want to do blood work on them so sure. we don't want eating or drinking sure. or we want to swab their mouth but sure. you know we do uh try and offer them something yeah. to eat as soon as possible and yeah. something to drink but right. just even that blanket or you yeah. know can i get you an extra pillow can i you know what can i do for Some you to make kindness. you a little bit more comfortable yeah. For sure. I think that's awesome. Do you have a website, Kathy, that you would like to mention for any of the organizations that you work with? Going to the polarisproject.org. Polaris Project is a website, a national website that really has a lot of educational materials on it and can give people a little bit more information of where to look on a national level. We read and utilize their statistics a lot. You know, I even have friends who have provided their story on Polaris Project. So I think that's a great resource for information. One of my goals for this podcast is to educate what I like to call Main Street. So moms and dads, kiddos, you know, grandparents, teachers, whomever that may not ever sit through a you know, formal training or even have maybe even heard of human trafficking. So I like to always ask our guests to just kind of give a little piece of advice or some wisdom for folks on Main Street. Is there anything that you would like to leave us with on that? Well, there's a few things. First of all, for the kids and adults who go online to meet friends and have chats in those chat rooms, be very, very, very cautious of who you're talking to and what information you're putting out there. Because you can think, oh, this person is really cares about me. He asks me a lot of questions or she asks me a lot of questions. And, you know, she just wants to be a friend and get to know me. The trafficker can be a female and the trafficker can be a male. And sometimes it's somebody your own age and you think you've developed a close friend. Why are they asking you all the questions, but they're not giving you any information about their backgrounds or very little? You know, because that information about where your little brother goes to school or mm. where your grandmother lives, they can use that and turn around to threaten you later on. The other thing is photos. Do not put photos out on the Internet. 
that your grandmother can't look at or would, would be embarrassed over. First of all, any porn pictures uh, for children, it's illegal. Yes. It's pornography. Yes. And they, we have heard the horror stories of how they can bite you in the butt. Yes. They can come back and be their sextortion where yes. you have to earn money back because you put these photos out. Yes. Or they've taken these photos and distorted them. Yes. And the other thing is that, you know, when I see and hear about kids on the street, the runaways, it bothers me that, you know, in this weather right now that we're having in spring, when it's cold out, why is that better than home? What's going on in that house? But there are places, if you notice on RTA and at public libraries in Cuyahoga County, there's yellow diamond cards in the windows. It's called a safe place. Oh. And you can go to the RTA and get on the bus and tell the driver. And the RTA has a detective department that is very well trained in human trafficking. And he could radio discreetly and get you help. If you're on the streets or you could go to a library and the librarians have been trained and they have a safe room for you and you can go to this place and they're yellow cards and it's a, I believe it's a diamond shape. And you see it as you enter the bus or RTA or the library. That is excellent advice. I, and I have never heard of that before. So that is, that is excellent. And I, I'm happy to know that the RTA and the library systems are taking that. Uh, yeah. It's that a wonderful approach. program. Yeah. Um, Kathy, this has just been so wonderful for me. I know that a lot of folks will really learn from this episode and, and I just appreciate you. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I mean, I wish that there were a million of you out there doing what you're doing because we, we need more people like you. So thank you so much. Any closing remarks you'd like to leave, Kathy? Well, I really appreciate what you're doing. This podcast hopefully is going out to uh, many, many people and you're making a difference in this podcast and, you know, what you're doing. So thank you for what you're doing. I do want to close and say if anyone needs training or they have questions, you are more than welcome to email me. My email is ll. E is in Edward, V is in Victor, A is in Apple, L L Y at E Tactics, E T A C T I C S dot com. And that's Ella Valley at E Tactics dot com. So thank you very much for listening. And Kathy, again, thank you for your time and stay safe.